The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Romans chapter 12. Last night we looked at provision, that amazing provision that the very life of Jesus by his spirit is indwelling the believer. He's living in us and by faith that living out of his life becomes manifest. And so we want to talk about that faith access. We barely touched it at the end of the message. And so now we want to focus in on the access that we have or our response to this amazing provision truth. It's interesting, in the book of Romans, you have the uh, same concept that we saw last night is found in Romans 6, 7, and 8. In fact, it's interesting, the whole book of Romans is referred to as the gospel in Romans uh, 16, verse 15. It refers to the higher book, a whole book as the gospel. Well, the first five chapters is the gospel to sinners, justification by grace through faith. Then Romans 6 through 8 is the gospel to saints, freedom from the power of sin, uh, sanctification by grace through faith. Then you have God's system in Romans 9, 10, 11. God's system is that it's by grace, all it is, through faith, and no one can change that. And after all of that doctrinal foundation, you have a turning point in chapter 12, that is now going to take all the truth that has been taught and apply it practically in our lives. And we're going to look at the pivotal turning point tonight. Very familiar verses, great verses, verses that many, I'm sure, in this audience would have memorized. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The apostle says here under inspiration, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, you have a main thought in each of those two verses. The main thought in verse 1 is present, presentation. The main thought in verse 2 is transformation. And friends, there you see a connection presentation opening the way for transformation. I want to speak tonight on the subject of the surrender exchange. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would again be our teacher tonight and open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, these are familiar verses, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make the truth here so clear that we would know exactly where we stand in relation to this truth. Lord, where you call us to a faith response, may we respond. Lord, do a deep work. Lord, for some, this may be a new thought. Not new, but new to them. I pray, Lord, that you would sink the truth in deeply. Lord, for others, where this has been a part of their life, I pray that their mind would be renewed and their spirit refreshed and deepened in the truth. Lord, do tonight what man cannot do. Help us, Lord. I don't think anybody here wants to just go through motions and waste time. I certainly don't. We need you to breathe on us, Lord. We need your power. We need that touch from heaven. And Lord, I pray that you'd grant it for your name's sake. And so I again plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the evil one who so seeks to derail us. Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above the enemy. 
And in your name, exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder and trust you that that not be allowed. May you be honored and lifted up. May we bow to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, we were holding meetings in the state of Maine. It was in the month of September, a beautiful time to be in the state of, uh, of Maine. And we were along the coast, and uh, I love the uh, coast of Maine, just a beautiful uh, area there. And uh, so we went to visit uh, a little town called Camden, Camden Harbor. It's a picturesque town. Uh, the mountains come into the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, you have all the yachts and the boats and the sailboats and all those kinds of things. And off in the distance, Curtis Island and Anita Lighthouse there. And it's just a tourist tra- tra- trap. Uh, I mean, it's just a picturesque place, is what I was going to say. Uh, that uh, it's just a, it's a fun place to go to. Lots of neat food and all that kind of thing. Well, we were there, and we are walking along the dock and looking at the boats and all these things, my wife and my son. And uh, all these signs were vying for your attention. You know, there's the whale watch. And, uh, you know, there's the lighthouse uh, cruise and all of this uh, stuff. And then I saw a little tiny building. And it wasn't fancy at all, uh, compared especially to everything else that was fancy. And there was a cardboard sign in the window, just a, a gray piece of cardboard, where someone had taken a black magic marker, and they'd handwritten, boat rental, $10 an hour. And that caught my attention. So I looked down into the water there uh, in the harbor to try to figure out what little boats go with that sign. Well, the smallest boats I could see, there were several of them in there, were these really nifty-looking boats, had nice engines on them. I thought it was got to be those. So I promised my son that on Thursday of that week we would come back and I would take him on a ride out to Curtis Island. So we came back on Thursday and the sign was gone. And nobody's in that office building. I thought, now what am I going to do? Uh, I promised John we're going to do this. And lo and behold, this guy walks up and goes in that door. And so I said, hey, the other day there was a sign here that said boat rental $10. And he acted like he had never seen it or heard of it or had no idea what I was talking about. And uh, so uh, he thought about it and said, well, he said, I can rent you a, I can rent you a dinghy for $10 an hour. And I'm a Chicago boy. I don't know what a a dinghy is, but it didn't sound good to me. (laughs) And uh, so he began to explain. He says, it's a little rowboat. Ah, so those little boats with the engines, (laughs) I got it all messed up. He said, no, no, those those are owned by the yacht owners. That's how they get to their yachts. He said, "I, I I got this little dinghy for you. It's a little rowboat. He said, this will work. I said, well, tell me, how long should it take me to row from here to Curtis Island? Well, he looks out of Curtis Island, looks back, says, ah, about 20 minutes. <laughs> so I said, all right, sounds good. I pulled out 10 bucks, handed it to him. He gave us these, you know, the old orange, old-fashioned <laughs> uh, life vest things, so you look really ridiculous. And so we go down to the uh, dock there, and then I saw the dinghy. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that word fits it. <laughs> it looked dingy. It was this old, rotten, wooden boat, real tiny little rowboat, paint chipped. I mean, it, I mean, I have no idea how old it was, but it, there it was. It was floating. So, uh, you know, we stepped down in trying to maintain our dignity and all. Well, I got positioned, and I don't know anything about rowing a boat, but I did figure out that, that you know, you got to go like this, and it's better for you to face backwards to the direction you're going, which meant my son, who was six or seven at the time, became the navigator of this amazing adventure. (laughs) 
So we pushed away from the dock, and I began to uh, row. And uh, they have, uh, you know, these little metal rings that go into the, the wood edge of the boat, so you got the leverage. Well, the wood was rotten. <laughs> so I'd go like this, and thing pop out. And I have no leverage, and that would get us off course. And then I'd just take the other oar and just put it in the water this way. And I discovered that when you row too much on one side, you go in circles. <laughs> and we were fast becoming the entertainment for anybody who cared to be watching. I didn't check to see if anybody was. <laughs> well, we began to make our way, and these yachts would go by, nearly capsize us, and, and I thought, man, we gotta, this is going to take forever. And so we're trying to weave through this parking lot of sailboats, you know, that are in between us and Curtis Island, and John Jr. said, no, 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 this way, Daddy, no, 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 this way. And 45 minutes later, with all of my energy gone, <laughs> we got to Curtis Island. I called the guy, said, I'm not going to make it back in an hour. He said, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, just enjoy yourself. So we did, and then another 45 minutes back, and... Uh, that was our adventure. Now, I learned that day that if you only use one oar, you go in circles. <laughs> you don't progress. Now, friends, there's two truths, two oars in our text tonight. And often we grab a hold of one of them, boy, and we stick it in. And we're going like this. And we don't, we don't understand, why, why am I not progressing why am I just kind of going in circles? What's wrong? And we don't understand that you've got to have an even use of both oars. You see, there needs to be uh, what we might call a two-oared or full surrender, or this surrender exchange where there is a presentation and a transformation. And as we dive into this tonight, I want us to ask ourselves the question, have I really entered into this surrender exchange? What does this mean? Well, let's look at the two oars. Let's look at the two main truths in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we'll spend some time on that, and then we'll take a little bit of time uh, and fill in some of the details with the minor points uh, after we do that. So let's begin with the two main points, the two oars. The first oar is very simple. It's not going to be new to you. I'm going to state it this way. Give your all to Jesus, trusting him to take it. Now, this is verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. That's the word translated yield in chapter 6. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Now, notice this. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, when you present everything to God, what are you doing? You're giving your all to God. And you need to trust him to take it because he says, I love this, the gift is acceptable. See, it's not based on your performance. You just come to God and say, God, you've got all of me. You have permission to do whatever's needed to make my life bring honor and glory to your name. You've got it all. I present everything to you. He will accept that gift. He's the one who makes it holy. He's the one who consecrates, not us. And thus, he can accept the gift. Now, this give all is an active presentation. In other words, the main verb is the word present, yield, and the voice of the verb is active. That simply means it's something you are responsible to do. However, it's not a work. I love the picture here. Instead of using the word faith, it pictures it. When you present everything to God, what are you doing? You're casting your dependence upon God. So it's something you're responsible to do, but it's faith. And faith is not a work, 
It's dependence upon the worker. But it is an active cooperation. It's going to God and saying, God, you know what you're doing, and therefore, I am going to present my life to you. In other words, I am going to depend on your leadership. The key in verse 1 is that we are coming to God and saying, God, you're the leader. You're Lord. And when you present everything to God and say, God, I want my life to bring honor and glory to your name. And so, God, you're the only one that can bring that to pass. I present everything to to you. You know what you're doing. I trust your leadership. See, you're coming to grips with surrendering to the will of God. That's what this is. As you abandon yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Give your all to Jesus, trusting Him to take it. Secondly, take Christ all to you, trusting Him to give it. All right, so see how these work together. Give your all to Jesus, trusting Him to take it. Take Christ all to you, trusting Him to give it. Now, this is what we see in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but, and here's your main uh, emphasis, be ye transformed, transfigured is the translation in other passages, changed in 2 Corinthians 3.18, same word, but ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, when you've allowed the Spirit of God to convince you of the provision that we saw last night, then here it is, uh, uh, be transformed by that divine life and power of Jesus. So when you give your all to Jesus, that's trusting his leadership. When you take his all to you, that's trusting, trusting his enablement. The presentation was an active presentation. The voice of the verb is active, you do it. What's fascinating here, be transformed is, all, uh, transformed is an imperative, it's a command. However, the voice of the verb here is passive. In other words, this is not something you do. This is something you allow God to do. Which means it's still another way of stating faith. You're coming to God and you're allowing him to do this. So, verse 1, present everything to him. He's the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Trust his leadership. But take his all to you because you can't follow his leadership without his power. This is what we saw in Galatians 5 on Sunday morning in the two phrases, walk in the spirit, and yet the two different words walk. One was dealing with depending on his leadership. The other was dealing with depending on his enablement. Same thought. See, here's the two oars, and we have to understand that both of them need to get in the water or we're going to be in trouble. And so there must be a give-all, and yet there must be a take-all. There must be an act of presentation and an allowed transformation. In other words... Here, it is a matter of depending on his life to be imparted to us so that we follow his leadership. And so we allow the Spirit to transform us, to impart to us the very life of Jesus Christ. Give all, that's a matter of his will. Take all, that's a matter of his way. And both of them are focused on Jesus. Give your all to Jesus, trusting him to take it, You're depending now on his leadership. Take his all to you, trusting him to give it. Now you're depending on his enablement. Simple enough, isn't it? (laughs) Then why don't we progress more? (laughs) Let's clarify 
What happens when you only get one of these in the water? And what it looks like? So we can understand where we are. First of all, let's deal with the problem of giving all without taking all. I run into people all the time and say, well, you know, I, I tried to surrender. But it's not working. <laughs> you know, I'm just as frustrated and defeated as ever. I don't get it. In other words, people say, you know, yeah, I've said to God, God, I surrender all. And nothing's really changed. What's wrong? Well, only one oar is in the water. <laughs> Going in circles. Not progressing. You see, what's happening is those who are in this particular uh, uh, mode, they are surrendering to God's will, the best they know, but they are trusting in themselves in an attempt to carry it out. Which means they're not depending on his power. They give all to Jesus, the best they know, but they're failing to take his all to them. I'll be honest with you, I lived in this mistake <laughs> for a period of years. And uh, it was very frustrating. You know, what, what it essentially is doing is saying, God, I surrender all, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, you're not. Because <laughs> you can't. I remember when my father preached a series of messages when I was in high school on Romans 12, 1 and 2. My dad had some classic series. I remember them. He had a series on the book of 1 Corinthians that was a classic. And anytime he ever felt the church was getting carnal, he'd preach that series. It was about every three years. <laughs> oh, he had a series on 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, the great revival verse. Phrase at a time. Great series. I remember it. He had a series on Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, I remember being challenged as a teenager. You know, am I, am I going to surrender to God? And I remember the best I know going to God and saying, God, I surrender all. And nothing happened. <laughs> and the days turned into weeks. And I'm thinking, well, that didn't work. So we'd have a revival meeting. Evangelists come through. And uh, inevitably, one night, they're going to touch on surrender. And I thought, well, maybe it'll take this time. <laughs> so I, you know, walk an aisle, you know, God, I surrender all. Nothing happened. No real change. Still frustrated. Still defeated, discouraged. What's wrong? Well, you know, that's the way it was through high school, through college. I don't know how many times I tried this. You know, and sometimes we think, well, maybe I just didn't mean it enough. And so we come and we get on our knees and we just grimace our face. <laughs> I surrender all. <laughs> I really mean it this time. <laughs> we don't get anywhere. <laughs> because we're depending on ourselves to carry it out. And it just doesn't work. We're going in circles. Because the fact is we've got to get both oars in the water. We must trust both his leadership and his power to carry it out. Because if we go back to, to trusting ourselves to carry it out... It doesn't work because the Bible says the flesh profits nothing. Now the flesh can work hard, sweat, toil, even tears, and profit nothing. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Very disillusioning. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without me, you can do 
nothing. Wow. By the way, the flip side of that is with me, you can do everything you ought to do, (laughs) Uh, which is beautiful. But the point is, without him, we don't get anywhere. Now, that means we need to understand that surrender does not mean your commitment to do right. I want you to think about this. That's a wrong definition of surrender. If you're thinking it means your commitment to obey, the problem is this, your commitment to obey. You're back to self-dependence. Surrender is saying, God, I can't. But you can. And so I surrender to you. See, there's a difference there. And uh, I think that often gets misunderstood. You see, I think often we think that the spiritual life is somehow we become strong. No. I remember, I remember when this thought went in deep. I had heard it before, but I remember when it went in deep. When I finally realized that apart from Jesus, apart from the provision, I am weak. Really weak. And I'll always be weak, this side of heaven, apart from the provision. But I'm going to tell you something. He is strong. And he will always be strong. And the spiritual life is not you and I somehow becoming strong. Because then we wouldn't need God. The spiritual life is us recognizing we're weak and will be weak this side of heaven so that we keep going back to depend on him who is the strong one. That is the spirit-filled life. You see, that takes that illumination that we talked about last night, where the Spirit of God opens your understanding to the power of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ that God Almighty has moved in to impart that divine life so that deity can somehow be incorporated into your personality. Now, friends, that's phenomenal. And we need to allow the Spirit of God to sink that in and to open that to our understanding because that's the power source. You see, it's not your job to be victorious. It's His. There's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. That's why He moved in. So that we depend on his leadership and depend on his power so that he enables us then to follow his leadership. You see, that's when we experience that overcoming life. That's when we experience that principle of counteraction. That's when we experience the victorious life of almighty God himself. You see, it's his job to be victorious. Our job is to cooperate. Our job is to put the oars of faith in, trusting his leadership and trusting his power. And friend, if you're seeing that you're in somehow the promised land, but you see the walled cities and you see the giants, especially giant sins in the walled city of your heart, and you're thinking, oh, there's no way. You're right about that part. But if you shrink back like the children of Israel saying, let's not even go in, then you've missed it because they had forgotten the provision of God. And in the same way, yes, we get in the promised land, we're saved. But there's battles, so it's not talking about heaven. And we see these giant sins in the walled city of our heart. We're thinking, oh, there's no way. We're right about that, but we need to look back at God. 
Because with his provision, the walls come down and the giants fall. (laughs) That's how it works. So, we need to make sure that when we give all and trust his leadership, we also take all and trust his power. That brings us to the second clarification. How about the problem of taking all without giving all? What happens is you go in circles, now the other direction. (laughs) But you're still going in circles, you're not progressing. In other words, sometimes we get it. Okay, all right, got to have God's power, got to have God's power. All right, so uh, what do we do? We go to God and say, God, I need your power to do my will. (laughs) Now, none of us say it that way, but it's what we're saying. We go to God and say, now, God, here's the plan. (laughs) Here's our plans. Would you bless them? See, we're going to God for his power. But it's for what we want, not having taken the time to find out if it's what he wants. And so, again, it's the other oar in the water, and we end up going in circles. And so the bottom line is, again, from center to circumference, it has to be a full surrender, a two-oared surrender, a trusting his power so that we are enabled to obey his will, and thus a dependence on both his leadership and his power. Now, give all, take all. Now, just think about this. We get to give our all, which is our nothingness, because <laughs> apart from him, we can do nothing. And we get to take his all, which is his everythingness. That is an unbeatable exchange. We have the privilege of going to God and saying, God, you know what you're doing? You made me. You're, you're, you're not surprised by what's going on in 2016. You know how all this works. So God, I'm presenting everything to you. You have permission to do what's ever necessary to make my life a vessel that brings honor and glory to your name. But God i got to have your power, so I'm taking you. I'm taking your provision. I am allowing you to transform me from the inside out. We have that privilege. And both of those are choices of faith. Exchanging our all for his all. Now, having looked at the main points here, the two ors, let's just go back and take the other phrases and fill in the details the minor points that support these two major points. First of all, when we talk about this kind of surrender, let's talk about the object of surrender. It says in verse 1 that you present your bodies unto God. Now, it does not specify which person of the Godhead. However, from other passages, let me ask this. Which person of the Godhead indwells our bodies? You can talk to me. Which person of the Godhead indwells our bodies? The Holy Spirit. So really this is a presentation to God the Spirit. You're the leader. You're the life source. And so the object of the surrender is God, and specifically God the Spirit. Number two, the faith of surrender. Often we refer to surrender and faith as if they're two different, separated um, matters. 
But actually, there are two sides to one coin. You see, when you surrender to Christ's leadership, you're now depending on His leadership. And when you surrender to His power, you're now depending on His power. Or we could word it this way. When you now depend on Him to be Lord and leader in your life, you just surrendered to His leadership. And when you depend on His power, now you surrender to His power. So it's not surrender and faith, it's the surrender of faith. Or the faith of surrender. And if we don't get that, then all of a sudden we're back into a split trust. Because if the faith is dependence, then what's the surrender if it's not the opposite side of the coin? It matters. It's just like in salvation. If you make repentance and faith two separated things, you get in trouble. They're two different emphases, but they're two sides to one coin. And so the same is true in this matter of sanctification. Number three, the responsibility of surrender. It says here, I beseech you. Now, I love this. You know, as we mentioned uh, last night, you know, when we were joined to that old master, it was forced labor. But we got severed from him, raised with Christ the new man, the nature of God, implanted into us, and then the Spirit of God moves in, new master, and yet he doesn't force us. In fact, we can yield to an old master. There's no longer forced labor. It's voluntary service. He doesn't force us because he wants a love relationship. He wants us to cooperate. He wants us to follow his leaders. See, dictators force, manipulate, all that stuff. Leaders lead. (laughs) And so he beseeches us here. That's amazing. And it goes on to say here, I beseech you. See, there's responsibility here. This responsibility is certain. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. You see, this is, therefore, an active cooperation, not a passive resignation. Another one of the deceptions regarding the word surrender is people think it is passivity. No, no, not at all. It is not a passive resignation. It's an active cooperation. For example, in war, when uh, this nation conquers this nation, or actually in a battle, when this side conquers this side, and so they wave the white flag of surrender. What are they doing? Well, they're, they're, they're giving up by giving in, but that means they've got to cooperate. They don't just passively say, okay, you won, but you've got to pick us up and move us. <laughs> no, no, they've got to cooperate if they become dead weight. Literally. <laughs> and friends, in the same way, what we're dealing with here is not idle passivity, but active cooperation. Passivity is the devil's playground. You see, the Holy Spirit works through our faculties, not around them. Thus, the need to actively cooperate, to walk in the Spirit, to quench not the Spirit, and so on. All those commands show that it's an act of cooperation, where Satan demands a passive faculty or instrument. Now, what's neat about this is God doesn't let, just as he doesn't force our will, he doesn't let Satan force our will. That's why the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. But since he uses a passive instrument, passivity gives place to the devil. Passivity of the mind, passivity of the will, and so forth. That's why drug use, the misuse of drugs, substance abuse, is such a dangerous thing. It makes people zombies. It gives place to the devil. 
Friends, there's a reason why the world calls alcohol spirits. You know, I flew to this meeting and they say, you know, we've got this, this, and spirits. Spirits? See, there's involvement there. Why? Because it produces a passivity that allows the enemy to get in. The devil packages things in a slick way, even to children, and makes it look like, well, it's just a kid's thing, when really it's a way that the enemy gets into their lives. Some of those things, you know, like back in the day, Harry Potter and all oh, whatever that's out there today, you know, you need to take a careful look at some of those things. Because when the enemy's involved, and the Old Testament was called an abomination, it's dangerous stuff. That's why hypnosis is dangerous. And uh, that's why we want to be careful to always be actively cooperating and not allowing ourselves to get in a zombie kind of state. And uh, it's interesting, some of the authors... Talk about when you take a song that may be a very legitimate song, but you sing the same song for 45 minutes in a row, uh, it's a proven uh, fact that many of the people in the audience enter the first level of the hypnotic state. And passivity is the devil's playground. We're not talking about passivity. We're talking about surrender in the sense of active cooperation. I hope we understand that. Then, let's go to the fourth matter, that it, uh, what we'll call the totality of surrender. It says in verse 1 that you present your bodies. And we saw last night with the concentric circles, body, soul, spirit, uh, well, all the rest of us is inside. So when you present your body, it's the whole package. It's the whole deal. All right, so it's the totality of surrender. Now, have you ever wondered why does Romans 12:1 beseech us to present our bodies when 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, if it already is, then why beseech us to present our bodies? I want you to think about this. Body, soul, spirit. Specifically, which part of us did the Holy Spirit move into when we got saved? Your spirit. So Romans 12.1 then is beseeching us to present the rest of us for full, can I say, hands-on possession. You see, when you got saved, you got all of him. He did not necessarily get all of you. And thus, Romans 12, 1 is saying, hey, present the rest. It's kind of like this. You can have uh, maybe in your house a guest room. And so uh, your guest comes in. You show them to the guest room. You know, here's the towels. Here's the closet. And hope you enjoy yourself. Now, do you walk out, slam the door, and lock it shut? <laughs> Say, well, depending on which relative it is. No, not really. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid we've done that to the Holy Spirit. You see, he moved into the guest room, our spirit. But what about when he steps out and goes down to the hallway into the kitchen of our appetites, and I'm not just talking about food. And we say, oh, I don't want you to, I don't want you to see those appetites, as if he doesn't know. <laughs> or he goes down the hallway and he opens, begins to open a closet door, and we come and we slam it shut and we say, uh, uh, I don't want you to see the skeletons in the closet. <laughs> well, he already knows. You see, when we act like we're in charge of one room or even one closet, we're acting like we're in charge. 
Now, this is what's so amazing to me. He's Lord. He's the creator. But he doesn't force his lordship. Not right now. He beseeches us. Amazing. But friends, he is Lord. And he's Lord whether you recognize it or not, but you're never going to benefit from it the way he wants you to unless you recognize it. And so, give all. You know, in our culture, we can purchase something, take the title deed in hand, we own it, and yet the product's not delivered for several more weeks. Okay, in the same way, when you got saved, Jesus, who purchased you with his own shed blood, took the title deed of your life in his hand, he owns you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Okay. Romans 12, 1 is simply delivering to him what he already owns for hands-on possession. And friends, if we refuse to do that in a resisting sense, it's robbery. It's theft. Because he bought us. And it's real. So the totality of surrender. Number five, the timing of surrender. It says in verse one that you present. Now the verb tense there is the fact of an action. It's a definite point in time. In other words, the life of surrender has to have a starting point. And so that's the presentation. It is a directional shift. It is uh, a definite presentation. Now, it doesn't have to be dramatic. It just needs to be real, not perfunctory. It's just like in salvation. Some people shed buckets of tears. Other people are so dry we even question whether or not they meant it. But if they trust Christ, they're getting saved. All right, so it doesn't have to be dramatic. It just needs to be real. And in the same way, this presentation doesn't have to be dramatic. It needs to be real. Not just perfunctory motions and mantras. It needs to be real. But the directional presentation opens the way for a daily surrender. Because it says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And the word living moves from a verb tense instead of the fact of an action like the word present. It's continuous. You see, there's a process that flows out of the definite presentation. There's a daily surrender that flows out of the directional surrender. There's an ongoing surrender. In other words, every day brings new issues to our lives that test our surrender. The presentation is setting the course. But then the living sacrifice is the ongoing carrying it out. And sometimes, sometimes we take the surrender back. It's kind of like in the Old Testament. The word uh, picture here is actually the whole burnt offering. And in the whole burnt offering, they would cut the animal up a certain way. But every piece of that animal was put on the altar uh, for the whole burnt sacrifice. And sometimes in the heat, pieces would pop off. <laughs> and so the priest had these tongs that would reach down, pick them up, put it right back on. It was the whole burnt offering. And sometimes we have pieces of our surrender that pop off. (laughs) But the idea here is everything and thus the ongoing part of it, the carry out. In other words, sometimes we get a wrong idea. We think that surrender is just a once-for-all matter. We even use this illustration. We say, well, okay, I'll just tell the Holy Spirit to take over the steering wheel of my life. But if he took the wheel then everything would be perfect from that time forward, right? (laughs) So that's not how it works. My father used to say, no, to use the analogy of a car, the Holy Spirit will say, "Uh, no, you stay behind the wheel, I'll stay in the passenger seat, just do everything I say. (laughs) 
Turn right when I say turn right. Stop when I say stop. Go when I say go. Turn that program off when I say turn it off and don't watch it again. See, he's the leader. Speak to that person and witness when I say speak. Forgive when I say forgive. And friends, you think about all of the lifestyle choices that we have. He's the leader. And so it's a matter of yielding to his leadership. He's the navigator. There's a sense where we are chauffeurs for deity. And I'm going to tell you, his navigation is phenomenal. I remember when the GPSs first came out. Uh, Sometimes they worked great and sometimes they landed me who knows where. And when you got a 38-foot trailer behind you, it can get messy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes. And so we can and ought trust his leadership. See, it's, it's, the timing is there's a beginning and then there's an ongoing aspect where each day we take the provision to act on it. We trust his power to obey his will. Thus the steps of the walking in the Spirit. Number six, the logic of surrender. It says, by the mercies of God. It already uh, refers back then, therefore, to what I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, justification by grace through faith, sanctification by grace through faith. The fact that God's system is all by grace and the access is faith, and faith is what we're responsible for, but it's not a work. It's dependence upon the worker, and thus it's all of grace, and yet it's not robotic. What an amazing God. Only God could do that. By the mercies of God. You see, he owns us. So it says here, this is your reasonable, this is your logical service. Some of the other translations say logical. That's the idea of the word. This is logical. Why? Because God's good. And he loves us. And his leadership is for our best. And sometimes we get deceived, we go down a wrong road, and he's got to reach in and rescue us from our misery. And sometimes that hurts, but oh, it's for our good. You see, he knows what he's doing. And sometimes we get fearful of this surrender thing, thinking that we know better. I remember a dear lady, she was honest with me. This was in Alabama. She said, preacher, I I can't surrender. She said, if I surrendered, God might call me to Africa. I don't know why Africa gets the bum rap, but at any rate, uh, people are afraid that God's going to call me to, you know, here's, here's young people. Oh, you know, if I tell God, you know, whatever he wants, he might have me marry a witch. <laughs> no, God's good. <laughs> I guarantee you, Eve was not a witch. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. And friends, we can trust him. You see, it's reasonable. He bought us. He owns us. And yet he loves us and wants us to follow and he doesn't want it to be robotic. What an amazing God. It's reasonable. And he's moved in so that the the power source of his own life is there to enable us to follow his leadership. Amazing. You see, it makes sense. But if we don't get that, that's when we go back to robbing God. See, this is what grabbed a hold of uh, uh, the heart of C.T. Studd 100 years ago when he was at Cambridge. He was from a wealthy family. He was smart. He was athletic. He was the household name in college sports in Great Britain. He was the biggest name. He was a believer. And you know, God got a hold of his heart. And God said, I want you to serve me on foreign soil. That meant that he had to walk away from a career 
of athletics that was already going great. He was already famous. He was already wealthy. And he walked away from it all. And people were stunned. Six other guys followed him. They became known as the Cambridge Seven. They preached in the uh, universities, gave their testimony in universities across uh, Scotland and England. And God sent a wave of revival. But people uh, would ask C.T. Stepp, how can you do this? How can you walk away from your future of fame and fortune? He said, how could I not? He said, when I realized that Jesus redeemed me, he purchased me. He in essence said, for me to do otherwise would be theft. He got it. God used him in China, India, and finally in Africa. He founded the, China, uh, the African Inland Mission and uh, God blessed abundantly. So the logic of surrender. Number seven, the point of surrender. Say, what's that? It's whatever you're saying no to God about. In other words, sometimes we think that surrender means the music plays, I surrender all, and in a solemn atmosphere we come and we say, God, I surrender all. Well, it can be that if it's all real. But often it's a lot more practical than that. There's usually a point of surrender. There's that area that you resist on, that you're saying no to God on. That you don't even want to go there. Because if you do, you already know God's going to say, give that up. <laughs> and so you act like it's not even on the table. <laughs> yeah, we all do it. We're masters at it. And this can happen at the beginning of the journey. Or new issues of surrender can come up. And here we are again with the point of surrender. Happens all the time. How about when somebody really wrongs you and, and now you've got you to deal with that righteously. <laughs> when you really want to clobber the guy. You know, I've never thought of myself as a murderer, but I can tell you, the older I get, I think I can do it. God, forgive me for saying that. Uh, but the flesh side of you sometimes just, wow. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, apart from Jesus, we're capable of a lot of stuff. We really are. There are new issues of surrender. Some of them are small, some of them are big really big but God knows what he's doing when it comes to the absolutes of the plateau and the variables within the absolutes the absolutes ought to be obvious in other words what we saw Sunday morning the works of the flesh are manifest adultery, fornication sexual sin of any kind, uncleanness that's all the compromises that lead up to fornication and adultery that's just the first three and friends, if we're hanging on to that, we're not spirit-filled. That's the flesh. Or maybe it's envy and strife and jealousy and all of the contentions. That's in the list as well. The point is, that ought to be obvious because it's explicit. It's absolute. You can't argue and say, well, God led me to be contentious. <laughs> now friends, God doesn't lead us to indulge the base side of the flesh. But that ought to be obvious. But what about on the plateau itself, there's those variables, you still need to obey the Holy Spirit. As to where you, where he wants you to draw the line to keep you from compromise or keep you from hurting somebody else. And so when he leads, we need to follow. That's where real surrender comes into play. When it's not even a right-wrong issue. 
See, often we just say, well, good men debate about this, therefore I can do what I want to. No, no. The point is, obey the Holy Spirit. Sure, good men debate about certain things. Why? Because some things are not absolute. God did not make everything black and white. If he did, we would not need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit steps in and says, you know, for you, I want you to give that up. I want you to draw the line right here. Then the debate should be over. See, that's the relationship. That's not dependence on the, on the standards. It's dependence on the person. But when he leads to draw a line, then draw it. Obey him. He knows what he's doing. I remember a, a teenager in our uh, youth group, 18, uh, he was, uh, came to the Christ Life Clinic that we had a couple of years ago. He gave a wonderful testimony at the end of the week. And uh, uh, he told me later, he said, wow, he said, God convicted me. He said, because he says, I was obsessed with mystery movies. And he said, for me, God just said, give it up. And he said, wow. He said, I did. He said, I was experiencing the joy of the Lord. He said, I was witnessing. I was on fire. He said, about three weeks later, he said, it just all kind of stopped and, and crashed. And, and I got to thinking, okay, what's wrong? He says, I realized, I went back on that and I started watching those mystery movies again. And he said, I realized, you know, God really meant give it up. For him, that's what God said. The key is obeying the Holy Spirit. It's no accident And in this verse on transformation, you have the phrase, be not conformed to this world. See, there we are, back to Sunday night, in the world but not of it. Don't allow yourself to be pressed into that mold. Allow Christ to transform you from the inside out. There's the deal. And when he speaks and says, you know what, for you, that's going to hurt you. That's going to sap your walk with me. That's going to hurt our relationship I want you to give that up. Give it up. Remember a new convert of six months came and told the pastor and I, he said, I, uh, I got rid of some DVDs today. I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, you know, I'm a Hollywood buff. He said, every time Hollywood produces a new movie, he said, I go out and buy it. And he said, uh, he said you know what? They make, me, they make me backslide. That's what he said. So he said, today I got rid of 600 DVDs. You know what that is? Surrender. I remember years ago challenging a high school and an elementary school to obey the Spirit about snares in their life that, that Satan was using to, to defeat and discourage them. And we had a sin bin <laughs> set up uh, for them to come and get rid of stuff. And so this kid, he comes to the service and he's got his, his Walmart bag or whatever it was. And he hands me this, I'm dating myself on this one, this video. VHS, is that what it's called? <laughs> so I wasn't trying to see through the, the plastic, but I could see through <laughs> It was a Scooby-Doo video about vampires. And I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit spoke to that kid, and he knew his voice, and he obeyed. And we may think, well, it's not that big a deal. The issue itself may not be that big a deal, but when you disobey the Holy Spirit, it makes it a big deal. That's the point. And so, the point of surrender, say yes. You know, maybe God's spoken to you because you're saved, but you've not yet been baptized. I'm going to tell you, he's speaking to you about it. Say yes. It may be there's some aspect of ministry here at Ambassador Baptist Church and you're the one that God wants to fit right there in a certain ministry. Say yes. You see, these are all points of surrender. And then finally, the demonstration of surrender. It says that ye may prove, literally demonstrate what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you present and allow him to transform, it's a demonstration of the will of God. It's a demonstration of the life of God. I was in a meeting my first year in evangelism where the church had six rows back 
and there was a guy on the last row. Now, of course, in that church, everybody was close, so <laughs> it didn't really matter. But uh, uh, at any rate, that's just where he was, uh, you know. And, and he, he had his arms folded, big tall guy, had a scowl on his face. And as you're preaching, it was like, you know, impress me. <laughs> and so uh, I talked to the pastor. He said, yeah, he's pretty cantankerous, kind of hard to get along with. Well, I came back a couple years later. There he was, same spot, same scowl, arms folded, impress me. Came back a few years later, there he was. I mean, for a whole decade, every time I came back, there he was, same spot. Man, he had just, just this frown, you know, all the wrinkles going down. And uh, that's just what he was. Then, about a decade ago, I went back, and the guy was leading the singing. And I'm going to tell you, he was radiant. You can't manufacture that. Only God can do that. And it was neat to see all those wrinkles go up <laughs> as he smiled. <laughs> and uh, now he still sat in the same spot. No problem with that. But he, this time his arms weren't folded. He had his Bible open. He was saying amen. Wow. Was the South. They're used to that down there. But he wasn't doing it before. But now he is. <laughs> or he was. And I mean, and I talked to the pastor. He said, oh, he's a delight. Every time I've been back since, he's still leading the singing. He still has the radiance of God, and he's still a joy for that pastor to work with. What happened to that guy? Romans 12, 1 and 2 is what happened. He experienced revival. He said, God, wait a second. I'm making a mess of things. You're in charge. I yield to you, and I need your power. Let's go. And God changed his life just like he can change ours. Let's get both ours in in this surrender exchange presentation give all transformation take all and watch god work and demonstrate who he is in a believer's life thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the ambassador baptist church if this message was a blessing to you please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media thanks once again for tuning in